The Hebrew term for synagogue is Beit Knesset, literally the house of the assembly. And the reason for this is that in the rabbinic tradition, the phrase Knesset Yisrael, the assembly of Israel, refers to the mysterious bonds that join Jews. Welcome to Bible 365, episode 72, Altercation and the Almost Civil War. I'm Mayor Soloveitchik. In March of 2020, as the world shut down, articles suddenly appeared describing what had been achieved by men of genius while in solitude. For example, the argument went, Newton's calculus was created in quarantine. What interested me more, however, was reading of another insight achieved by Newton while separated from the world, and that was his understanding of gravity. Apparently, the Apple anecdote was not entirely founded in fiction. Newton's student John Conduit described his teacher's eureka moment, quote, In the year he retired again from Cambridge on account of the plague to his mother in Lincolnshire, and whilst he was musing in a garden, it came into his thought that the same power of gravity which made an apple fall from the tree to the ground was not limited to a certain distance from the earth, but must extend much farther than was usually thought. Why not as high as the moon, said he to himself? And if so, that must influence her motion and perhaps retain her in orbit, end quote. A great mind in social isolation during a pandemic suddenly conceives of gravity of a mysterious invisible force that not only links Apple to Earth several feet away, but travels the very distance of space, joining our world to the very heavens, linking Earth and Moon. But there is perhaps an even stronger gravitational force, and that is the one uniting the Jewish people throughout the centuries, one which, in the recent moment of pandemic and social isolation, revealed itself in profound and wonderful ways. In the beginning of chapter 18, a permanent altar is erected at Shiloh, or Shiloh, in the portion of the tribe of Joseph. There the tabernacle will sit, and there, and only there, will Israelite offerings be brought for many hundreds of years. According to the laws delineated in Deuteronomy, upon arrival in the Holy Land, Israel is to have one central site where the Levitical rites will be performed, a location that will serve as a source of unity. Once such an altar is erected, all offerings are forbidden everywhere else. Shiloh will serve in this role until it is destroyed by the Philistines at the beginning of the book of Samuel. And then, of course, the dream of David that Jerusalem permanently play this role will be ultimately fulfilled. For those tribes of Israel that can easily access Shiloh, the ban on individual cultic and religious rites performed elsewhere is something that is easy to embrace. But there are those for whom the permanent place of worship poses a challenge. Throughout the next chapters, the final apportionment of the territory takes place in the Holy Land. And then we return to two tribes, Reuben and God, who, along with half of another tribe, Menashe, have been designated, as per God and Reuben's request, to dwell on the other side of the Jordan. Having fulfilled their promise to Moses to stand with Joshua in the battle for the Holy Land, they now prepare to cross back over the Jordan to their desired portion. But the prospect of feeling cut off from the many rights of their brethren is all too worrisome. It is in this context that Israelite leadership receives word that the tribes on the other side of the Jordan have created an altar of their own. Joshua chapter 22, verse 10. And when they came to the districts of the Jordan that are in the land of Canaan, the children of Reuben and the children of God and the half-tribe of Manasseh built there an altar by the Jordan, a great and conspicuous altar. 
And the children of Israel heard say, Behold, the children of Reuben and the children of God and the half-tribe of Manasseh have built an altar over against the land of Canaan in the districts of the Jordan across from the children of Israel. Another altar. This is taken as an act of spiritual secession, interpreted as a deliberate attempt to cut themselves off from their brethren. Note that there is no indication to the other Israelites that this altar has been erected as an idolatrous one. This is taken rather as a trespass, even if the offerings that they will bring on this new structure are to the God of Israel. Because for Reuben and God to cut themselves off from being joined with all Israel is considered a rebellion against the God of Israel. A delegation is therefore dispatched. Verse 15. And they came to the children of Reuben and to the children of God and to the half-tribe of Manasseh to the land of Gilead, and they spoke to them, saying, Thus says the whole congregation of the Lord, What trespass is this that you have committed against the God of Israel to turn away this day from following the Lord by building for yourselves an altar that you might rebel this day against the Lord? The delegation of Israelites led by Phinehas, grandson of Aaron, who is now high priest, warns the Israelites about idolatry and then tells Reuben and God that even if this new altar was built on behalf of God, they still have no right to create it. Verse 19. How be it if the land of your possession be unclean? Then pass over to the land of the possession of the Lord, where the Lord's tabernacle dwells, and take possession among us. But rebel not against the Lord, nor rebel against us, in building an altar for yourselves besides the altar of the Lord. What is being communicated, ladies and gentlemen, is incredible. Perhaps the Israelites are saying to Reuben and God, Perhaps you feel that you need an altar to help you relate to our God because you have chosen to live outside the original designated territory of the promised land. If this is the case, they continue, come over and join us. We would be willing to give up some of our own territory on your behalf for the cause of Israelite spiritual unity. And so Israelite unity is, in their very words for a moment, stunningly reified. And to this, the tribes on the other side of the Jordan offer an equally inspiring and striking response. The altar they have made is not for offerings. Nothing will be brought upon it at all. It is there only as a reminder of the real altar that is in the land of Israel. Reuben and God respond in verse 26. Therefore we said, let us now prepare to build us an altar, not for burnt offering nor for sacrifice, but that it may be a witness between us and you and our generations after us, that we might do the service of the Lord before him with our burnt offerings and with our sacrifices and with our peace offerings, that your children may not say to our children in time to come, you have no part in the Lord. Therefore we said that it shall be when they should so say to us or to the generations in time to come, that we may reply, behold the pattern of the altar of the Lord which our fathers made, not for burnt offerings nor for sacrifices, but it is a witness between us and you. The tribes on the other side of the Jordan, in other words, argue. They've built the altar entirely as a symbol of the bond between them and the Israelites in the originally designated promised land. Reuben and God and the half-tribe of Manasseh deeply desire a connection to their brethren. They are profoundly concerned about assimilation, worried that their own children will be cut off from the larger people. And so they have erected the altar to remind their own families of the central site of worship in Shiloh on the other side of the river, reminding their children forever of the locus of their religious devotion, and, as importantly, reminding their children that they are all metaphysically bound to the larger people of Israel. This symbolic altar is, as it were, akin to Newton's apple tree. It is a symbol of spiritual gravity, which binds Israelites that are spatially separated from one another. 
The tale of these tribes allows us to understand the future of Jewish ritual and worship. Ultimately, of course, it was the Temple Mount in Jerusalem that became the central and eternal site of Jewish devotion. And after the temple was destroyed, rightly understood, the synagogue did not replace the temple. Rather, the rituals of the synagogue stand as reminders of all that occurred on the Temple Mount, linking Jews to it, to Jerusalem, and therefore, ultimately, to each other. The required rituals and liturgy performed and prayed in synagogues are organized based on the times of the temple rites, and the prayers are recited facing Jerusalem. Thus did the Jews remain linked to one another, even as they were separated from one another at a far greater distance than Reuven and God were separated from their brethren. In separation, Newton conceived of a gravitational bond that could exert its power over long distances, that could even span heaven and earth. A spiritual form of just such a bond was discovered by Jews, one which bound us to each other, and indeed which even binds those in heaven with those on earth. Jewish generations past and present. The Hebrew term for synagogue is Beit Knesset, literally the house of the assembly. And the reason for this is that in the rabbinic tradition, the phrase Knesset Yisrael, the assembly of Israel, refers to the mysterious bonds that join Jews. A synagogue is not merely a physical gathering of individuals, but rather, as Rabbi Joseph Soloveitchik explained, it is an embodiment of, quote, an invisible Knesset Yisrael, which embraces not only contemporaries, but every Jew who has ever lived, end quote. In a synagogue, prayers are directed to the ultimate permanent site of the altar, Jerusalem, and in the constant reminders of the rights of Israel, the people remain bound to one another. Every synagogue, in a sense, is akin to the symbolic altar erected by Reuben and God as a reminder of the togetherness of God's chosen people. After the explanation provided by Reuben and God, the other Israelites return to their homes, and crisis, secession, civil war, is averted. In the end, of course, Reuben and God were right to be worried. Rabbi Yigal Ariel notes that, as the story of Israel and its land continues, we will see, in the Bible, signs of assimilation from those that dwell on the other side of the river. But, as he further notes, at the same time, it will be someone from that other side of the Jordan, from the land of Gilead, a prophet who will ultimately arise and dedicate his life to the restoration of spiritual unity of Israel. This is Elijah, Elijah who for Jewish tradition continues to wander among us, witnessing the bonds between us as Jews. The unity first felt, first sought by those tribes that lived apart from their fellow Israelites, by Reuben and God who had fought for their brethren in the Holy Land and who sought afterwards to eternally remind themselves of the spiritual unity of the people of Israel, that unity stands as inspiration to Jews today. Thus, verse 34, And the children of Reuben and the children of God called the altar aid, witness, for it shall be a witness between us that the Lord is God. So scripture tells us, and long after that altar disappeared, the story stands as a witness to the metaphysical bonds between Jews. It was to these bonds that I turned when, in March of 2020, synagogues were suddenly shut down all over the world. Speaking on a conference call to my own congregation on the eve of the first Shabbat when we were to be apart, I noted what the Jewish synagogue embodies, the bond that extends over distances, uniting us as Knesset Israel. And I argued 
that even in isolation from one another, we can still feel connected to one another, just as Newton in isolation conceived suddenly of gravity. But there was, I noted, a difference between Newton's gravity and our own. Physical gravity drags us down, but the bond between Jews can be felt by us even when we are alone, and that can lift us up. Soon after, an inspiring story appeared in the press that truly reflected the covenantal gravitational force between all members of the Jewish people. With most prayer services impossible, many mourners could not say the Kaddish, the traditional prayer recited following the passing of a loved one. But there were religiously observant soldiers in Israel that were serving and were quarantined together, soldiers who could therefore create prayer quorums. Thus, the Baltimore Jewish Life reported, quote, Israeli soldiers are comforting Jews in mourning both in Israel and the diaspora by saying the obligatory and commemorative Kaddish prayer on their behalf for recently deceased family members. The soldiers, all of whom serve in the Netzach Yehuda unit, have taken this initiative in light of the coronavirus pandemic. Each of the soldiers are receiving specific names of those who have recently passed away and will be saying the Kaddish prayer in their merit and in perhaps the last remaining minion, formal quorum of prayer that includes at least 10 men, currently taking place in the entire world. For the duration of the COVID-19 pandemic, Israeli soldiers are staying at their respective bases of service without leave for over 30 days at a time. The soldiers, therefore, currently stationed at the Netzach Yehuda base have been permitted to hold formal prayer quorums since they have spent more than two weeks together completely isolated from anyone outside the base. Unfortunately, just about everyone else in the world cannot have this privilege in light of regulations put into place by governments around the world that significantly restrict the size of gatherings. The Nachal Haredi organization, which supports soldiers in the Netzach Yehuda unit, invites those around the world experiencing enormous pain over the loss of their loved ones to share their names so that the soldiers will say the Kaddish on their behalf, end quote. So the article tells us, here then, ladies and gentlemen, is a version of connection from afar, of isolation leading to the breaking of barriers, of separation itself, suddenly leading to the undoing of distance. The paradoxical poetry, the sublime symbolism, ultimately emerges as an inspiration to us all. Precisely because these young men are physically isolated from the rest of the Jewish people, therefore, they were suddenly able to show how close they feel to the entire Jewish people. Physically cut off from Jews around the world, they become, suddenly, the willing receptacles of the hopes, the mourning, and the love of Jews around the world. Already having volunteered to defend the physical state of Israel, they now embody the existential unity, the metaphysical bonds of Knesset Israel, of the Jewish people. The controversy over the altar, the story in Joshua that I like to call the altercation, emerges as one of the most inspiring stories in this biblical book and in all of Scripture, because it is a tale of brothers that refuse to forget each other, and therefore, to read it again is to be reminded of what binds us together today. This is Mayor Soloveitchik, looking forward to learning together tomorrow, signing off.